Enter now the age of apocalypse, Shiga, with your hosts, Dayspring and Scott Free. The name's Cable. Remember it. And the only people who can stop apocalypse are the mutants known as Dayspring, Scott Free, and Michelle. So I'm very proud to have with us tonight, Carl Etter, who is the comic book manager, as well as the social media master of ceremonies over at Toy Wiz in Nanuet, New York. He is a geek of all trades, from comics to miniatures, to video games, to card games, and even more in between. He has been with Toy Wiz for over 13 years. And yes, gentlemen, he is single. Please welcome Carl. <laughs> What's going on? Thank you. Thank you very much. That was so. That intro was so wonderfully delivered. I, I feel so <laughs> so blessed and humbled, and just uh, you should be you know so happy to be in my presence. I mean, uh, <laughs> I love how this has just turned into a dating show right now. I'm like <laughs> I have Carl here. He has a great smile. He's a comic book manager and master of ceremonies over at the Toy with Social Media. I, you have the coolest job title ever. Has anyone ever told you that? They have not, but uh, I certainly don't mind hearing it. <laughs> Carl, I want to ask questions about you, but before we get into questions about you and your day-to-day -day and, and your fandom, I want to know about Toy Wiz and okay. the history of Toy Wiz. Who, here, here's a question. I've I've been knowing about Toy Wiz since I was probably 12 years old when I would pick up an issue of Toy Fair and there was an ad right there and I would get on the phone, I'd have to pay like 25 cents a minute or whatever it was <laughs> just to call an order from you guys. I believe I got one of the Toy Biz cannonballs from all of you back in the day. Um, the pink one, if I remember correctly. Nice. <laughs> so I'm curious, who founded Toy Wiz? Well, the, uh, it started off as the, uh, we've actually had multiple names throughout the years. It started off as the uh, Wizard of Comics and Game, uh, sorry, the Wizard of Cards and Comics. Uh, and it was founded by Susan Seamus uh, after she had, it's a, a little bit of a story. She had uh, picked up a pack of baseball cards from a, uh, a place just on a whim. And she <laughs> opened it up and she had brought it back to show them what she had gotten. And she was surprised that one of the cards in there turned out to have some value to it. And she thought, wow, this is amazing. I wish I could keep doing this. And she got the, the germ of this idea that, hey, let's open up a store. Uh, her husband had been involved in uh, multiple retail ventures uh, throughout the years, and he helped her out. And as she was getting things set up, she learned that for any, uh, any card store out there, they couldn't just do cards. It wasn't going to be enough to keep everything uh, you know, going. You had to go into comics as well. So that's what she did. And so the, the Wizard of Cards and Comics uh, was created. And it just expanded from there. Her entire family ended up getting in on the uh, on the game. Uh, two of her sons ended up founding uh, Wizard Enterprises, as well as uh, in Toy Fair being one of the magazines that they had put out. It makes sense now. I used to work mm -hmm. at Wizard, and until you said Susan's name, I was like, "Wait a minute!" So this is the OG store. This is the OG store. I had no idea. It's a long and storied history. Like, does everyone know about that? <laughs> it, it, uh, it, it's known. <laughs> I love that. So what was her original vision on the store? I know you mentioned they had to do more than just 
you know, trading cards. Mm-hmm. What, what was the idea when she started expanding? Well, it really just kind of grew organically. Uh, the more that uh, she got involved with the, the various uh, elements that are a part of uh, just the comic book business, the card trading card business and all that, the more it just kind of kept uh, you know, growing. You know? And at that time, uh, since the store originally opened up in the late 80s, uh, we don't even remember at this point exactly which year it was. We, just, we know it was in September, oddly enough, <laughs> but we just don't know exactly if it was 84, 85, 87. Uh, but uh, around that time, that's when comics really were at their their peak uh, before we had the big crash in the 90s when things got a little uh, too crazy with stuff. But uh, there was just a lot of uh, you know, energy behind the entire industry, a lot of excitement. People were, you know, wanting to get their hands on all the latest stuff that was out there. And it just kind of uh, developed out of that, that uh, that energy, uh, you know, going both you know, to the customers, from the customers and just all around. It was just it was a great time for comics. Can you explain the crash of the 90s? Because I I lived through it and I have a vague idea, but a lot of our listeners don't know about the crash of the 90s. Could you give us a little summary of it? Well, uh, and this is, I mean, I actually personally have only been involved with comics uh, since about the uh, the early 2000s, actually. Uh, something I've always had been aware of, but uh, nothing really that I delved mm-hmm. too deeply into. But uh as far as the the big crash goes, and a similar thing happened with uh, trading cards for that point, uh, for that matter, rather, uh, pretty much everybody was getting really excited about comics. It was, they were huge. People were seeing a bunch of books that they remembered from their youths uh, getting a ton of value to them. It's like, wait a second, I remember Superman. Wait, his first appearance is worth how much money? It's, oh my goodness, there's, there's so much value in this. So people started, you know, kind of getting excited from a an investment and a speculation standpoint and the comic publishers were all too happy to oblige this so you had a ton of these publishers putting out tons of different books and there were multiple like every book had like 30 or 40 different variant covers and uh there'd be like the special collector's edition these are these ones over here are numbered these had had a literal shot and eventually got to a point where there was just so much of the speculation behind things that the customer base eventually kind of grew a little tired of it and it all kind of fizzled out. And since there was no longer an interest in purchasing all these books anymore, the comic companies, the comic stores were in a position where all of our orders have to be placed about two months in advance. So all these stores are now on the hook for all of these books that they've already ordered and they can't get out of having to pay for them, but now they don't have buyers for them. And you start seeing all these small press companies going under because they don't have the, uh, the speculation to sustain them. Uh, and even, you know, Marvel and DC had significant issues. Marvel nearly went bankrupt. That's why they sold yeah. a lot of their, uh, their character rights to various companies for movies. That's why Fox ended up with the X-Men. That's why Sony ended up with Spider-Man. A lot yeah. of their most valuable properties in terms of just the uh, the popularity of the characters ended up going to a bunch of different uh, companies and how we is... got the epic story heroes reborn <laughs> yes well that's set. the thing you also had all these massive you know big event books you yeah. had you know dc killing off superman you had them breaking batman's spine you had marvel being like hey wait we need to get involved on this stuff let's have the 
clone that showed up after we killed Gwen Stacy come back as part of a whole clone saga and drag that out for two years, even though it was originally supposed to be only about six months worth of uh, material, to the point that by the time it was wrapped up, none of the writers or editors had any idea what they were doing. <laughs> yeah. I haven't it was, revisited. Uh, it, was, it was messy. It was, it, it's amusing to look back on it in hindsight. And I will give Marvel a lot of credit. They have a great sense of humor about themselves and their history. Mm-hmm. And they know that the Clone Saga just turned out to be a complete omni-shambles. Oh, I haven't revisited the Clone Saga. I've wanted to. It's on my list to do. It's just such a commitment for exactly what you just said. It, crossed, it was across what, four or five different ongoing series, a ton mm-hmm. of different like tie-in miniseries and one-shots, and it lasted for about two years. When they finally put everything out in the trade paperback uh, complete Clone Saga collections, I think there were like five volumes in it that were each like maybe about three quarters to an inch thick yeah. <laughs> so there was a lot of material to go through wait i don't want to i don't want to derail too much because i want to know more about toy whiz i can talk okay. i can talk geek stuff with you all day i'm already just like my eyes are spinning i just i love your energy thank you is the seamus family still involved with toy whiz Yes. Uh, while Susan is no longer the, the owner of the store, her son Kenny had uh, purchased it from her some years back. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's actually around the time that he had uh, you know, taken over the store that we started getting into the online end of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, his vision was more focused on getting the website up there, getting a lot more, uh, a lot more reach than uh, just the, the store itself. So that makes sense to me because as he purchased the store from his mother and he started bringing it into the new online age. His brother was over at Wizard Toy Fair with a platform to help them advertise and have placement. So do you think the reason why the store has endured so well was because of that early support from Wizard and Toy Fair? There's certainly, certainly elements of it. Uh, at the same time, there was also a confusion with it for a while after, like I said, we were originally called uh, the Wizard of Cards and Comics, then they changed the name of the store over to Wizard World, but then there started to be some confusion once Wizard Magazine came out and Wizard World Enterprises there. So when we uh, you know, started going online, that's when we switched over to Toy Wiz. But uh, yeah, there was definitely that kind of, uh, uh, what's that word I'm looking for? I guess synchronicity, Synergy? perhaps. Uh, between the uh, the two, there was this uh, the element that uh, the, just the family as a whole was involved so deeply with the industry. Mm-hmm. So you had just the the family name involved with that. The fact that people knew of Wizard, uh, and you know all that having kind of grown out from the store, the two kind of helped each other out in a very deep and significant way. Yeah, and how do you think online ordering? influence the store as it was growing well it certainly enabled the store to grow in just leaps and bounds uh the third location that the store had they actually we had uh, set up in a place where they actually had the back uh, a good like two-thirds of the space that they had been renting that was just dedicated to warehouse space for the website and it just kept growing and growing to the point that they now actually have a a, a separate full-on warehouse uh, that's separate from the storefront, that it, it looks kind of like uh, the ending of Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> Except just with toys all over the place. You're talking about El Dorado right there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, 
when I was at Wizard, obviously it had a huge warehouse behind the editorial office. And Joe Yonarella, who was the editor-in-chief, took me on a, I, I don't think he was editor-in-chief, he may have been publisher, whatever his title was. On my first day, he took me for a tour and the warehouse is part of that tour. And my mouth was just open. Why? I was just like, and oh, I'm like a boy from Florida. We didn't have comic book stores. All I knew about, you know, comic stores like Toy Wiz were what I saw in like Toy Fair or, you know, what other people told me. So I can just imagine the spot right now <laughs> with all of the orders and stuff like that being fulfilled there. Oh, That's, yeah. Do you go there on a regular basis or are you just at the main store? I do actually uh, on pretty much a daily basis uh, on, on any weekday uh, I head over there because we have uh, all of the comic stuff, all of the, uh, the single like uh, trading card game stuff is all handled at the store level. So I will bring those orders up to the warehouse for them to ship out and everything. And by the same token, because they don't have to display anything and they have such a, so much more product that are, that's up there. So if there are any customers that are looking for like individual toys that we just don't have space for in the store, I'll bring them on back. So we, I'm, I'm constantly making trips back and forth. Oh, that's just sounds, that just sounds so wonderful. And you know, it's funny this last weekend, my husband and I swung by the store and oh. I haven't been in a comic book store yeah, I posted about it on the Power of X-Men social media. Very and nice. I haven't been in a comic book store in such a long time. And just being in there, I was like, oh, I'm back. And there were two things that I loved so much about the store. One, you guys have an iPad there where yep. you can like instantly order something. Whose idea was it to put it there? I, honestly, I'm not sure if it was John Donahue or, uh, or Kenny Seamus himself. Uh, uh, when we did the, we actually did a massive uh, renovation last year. Uh, while we were shut down uh, due to the pandemic, we uh, you know, put a lot of those plans into place. You know, got brand new fixtures, uh, brand new flooring, new paint job, everything. It's beautiful. It's and so crisp. Part of that was, you know, getting the, uh, yeah, again, I can't remember if it was uh, John, who's the store supervisor, or Kenny, who owns the, the company, who had come up with the idea. But they, they were like, you know what, we need a way just for it so it's easier for customers to be able to see what's available on the site. So this way, if you know there's something they want that we don't have, they can see that we can get it for them nice and easily. And uh, yeah, so that's why we had that set up. Well, I love the clean displays. I was looking at the Age of Apocalypse Marvel Legends that mm -hmm. you guys have there. And they're just so beautifully positioned with the lighting. I was like taking photos because I was like, this is how I want my display. I, I just <laughs> moved into this apartment. So this is just temporary. I have shelves right. coming very soon. And your store is definitely the inspiration for it. But the other thing I loved, and this kind of threw me off because I'm I'm in Hoboken, which is right across the river from Manhattan. I can take a five-minute patron ride, and I'm at Midtown in the financial district. But it feels very lonely going to a comic book store these days because of the pandemic. And one thing that I was thrown with your store was when we were in there, a big group of people in cosplay came and they went directly for the counter. I don't know what they were doing. I don't know if it was Pokemon or Dungeons and Dragon, but whoever they were, they just brought in such an infectious energy. And I think that's more to do with what you guys do and the community you guys have 
built. Does that happen on a day-to-day basis or did I just witness something special? Not so much in full costume. That's uh, That was kind of a special occasion. Uh, usually we only have costuming happening when Halloween's coming around and I dress up as Winifred Sanderson, which was Stop it. phenomenal. Thank you very much. Oh my, my <laughs> mouth. You must be so, what did you think of the reunion they did for, um, Bette Midler's charity, which I'm totally forgetting the name oh, of the goodness, charity. I, I didn't, I didn't even realize. Elvira hosted it. They oh got SJP. They got everyone, the three Sanderson sisters, and they got. Um, Why did you not tell me about this sooner? I <laughs> look. We just met, and now you're you're mm-hmm. like hashtag BFF. <laughs> I'm going to spam your inbox with all of this. Yeah, Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, hosted it. I know. God, goodness gracious. <laughs> I love that movie and the, the deadly stiletto heels. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, wait, 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 wait. Goodness, I missed up. Okay, we're we're getting we're getting off uh, off yeah. track here. Okay, wait. But, uh, it, it was that that is kind of like a a an occasion that people show up. Yes. Trust. Okay. Uh, in terms of though, just the the energy and the, uh, the we do try to. I mean, that's that's a big part of what has made us so successful. We try to get that sense of community. It's all about. I mean, you can go anywhere and just you know buy some toys or whatever. You can just go online, scroll through a, a website, and buy some books, buy a toy, or whatever. But what makes the physical storefront such an experience is the fact that it is an experience you're not just scrolling through and looking at things you're able to talk with other people who share the same you know just loves that you have you're able to get advice that you can just type anything into google and be like okay well where should i start reading spider-man but if you have somebody who and my phone just you know popped on because i said (laughs) the word (laughs) i'm not talking to you but uh but that's the thing. You, you can type in into a, ser- a search engine. Is that better? <laughs> into a search engine. And, you know, it'll you know, pop up some suggestions. But it's so much different when you're actually talking to somebody who can kind of, like, read where you're coming from. So it's a question of, okay, well, they're interested in, you know, oh, again, we'll go with Spider-Man just as an example. So is this somebody who's going to be more interested in, you know, some of the classic storylines? Or is it something that we want to, you know, they might be more interested in trying some of the newer stuff out? Uh, so you can really get that, and I know I'm just using comics as an example specifically here, just because that's you know my my bailiwick, that's my area of expertise. Mm-hmm. But uh, by the same token, you can go for anything if you know you're interested in Warhammer. I mean, there's so many different options up there, but you know you go up to Lewis and he'll be able to tell you anything you need to know about 40k, about Age of Sigmar, about the other uh, miniatures games or, that we have, uh, Star Wars Legion, Marvel Crisis Protocol. If you want to know more about Magic, you, you come in, you talk to Chris, and he'll be able to give you advice as far as where to start if you're just getting into the game and you know what kind of uh of uh you know decks to start off with or if you're an expert and just looking for advice to tweak what you're currently working with you know he can give advice on that as well and it's we it's that that openness that you know that friendliness that uh able to you know get a dialogue going yeah i should also give a shout out to uh, to clifford because he's uh ridiculously knowledgeable about the uh the sports cards uh and you know, while I'm giving shout outs, uh, <laughs> I, I covered the people as far as like the specific, like, uh, you know, heads of the different sections. But uh, I mean, Paul is very knowledgeable and friendly. Lily is very knowledgeable and friendly. Uh, why am I blanking? Uh, Steven is my new uh, assistant with the, uh, the the comics and he's been doing a phenomenal job. But Meat is just on top of everything with the uh, the action figures. And all of us, we just, we love 
what we love what we handle and we love talking about it and we share try to share that love with everyone that comes in and i like to think that we're somewhat successful and you know kind of getting that that energy and that love across and that's why people you know keep coming back to us you are highlighting all of the reasons why comic book stores need to exist because i've said this before kids today they have it so easy. Grandpa Dayspring here. I had to go into stacks and stacks of comic books when I saw like a Fleer Ultra card. And if it was an innocuous character like Day Tripper or, you know, Madeline Pryor, I only had that little bio in the back. I actually had to go to my comic book store. I had to go through all of the back issues without any clue of where I was supposed to go. But the one thing that was consistent was the comic book seller who was right there, who knew what I was talking about. Mm -hmm. And then it was the other fan overhearing us talking. And then you join in and then you start creating a community. And I do feel a lot of that can get lost now in a world where we have Wikipedia, where you're like, oh, I want this action figure. I'm just going to go on Amazon. And there it is. And a lot of that love for this community, for creating that camaraderie has gotten lost. But again, that energy at Toy Wiz is so, it's still there. It's still perpetuating because of people like you. We're infectious, what can I say? <laughs> infectious in a non-pandemic sort of way. I, I wanted to ask you- yes, about... No, yes, we had absolutely nothing to do with creating this pandemic. We, I didn't accidentally put it together in a lab or anything. I'm sorry, I shouldn't <laughs> be making light of it. It's, it's been terrible, but sometimes you have to laugh at the dark stuff. <laughs> no, I always say this. Our threshold for humor since the pandemic has started has gone significantly, significantly higher. It's mm -hmm. been such a tough year. And oh, yeah. that's why I started this podcast as well back in October, because I wanted to have conversations like the ones I was having at my local comic book store. But I mean, beyond that, I didn't really have a comic book store growing up. I grew up in Miami during the 80s and the 90s at the height of the cocaine wars. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, my comic book store was called Line Drive Beeper and Comics. And I'm pretty sure it was a front for something else. <laughs> like, so like my primo and I would be walking barefoot there like because our abuela mm -hmm. just dumped us there and went into public. So I just... I love talking with other people, especially people like you who are so passionate. It's part of the reason why I loved Wizards so much. And I didn't know that Toy Wiz was an extension of the same dynasty. But mm -hmm. now talking well, to you- It's actually the other way around. Not to you know try to toot no, our own cool. horns too much, but I mean, because it, it did start off with the store and then you know they kind of branched from there. I mean, the, the, it's that just the whole, the love of the industry is just within the family. Uh, among all, all four of the brothers, well, the, the fourth brother is an orthodontist. Uh, they're, all, <laughs> they're all, you know, brilliant and wonderful people. And I've, I've, you know, the family has been wonderful to me yeah. uh, the entire time I've been with them. Susan treats me like I'm one of her own kids. Uh, I love that. Which is, is terrifying sometimes. But <laughs> <laughs> I love her to death. She is amazing. Well, what I... What what I'm seeing in you is the same vibe that I saw when I walked into Wizard that first day. And now I understand it's a community that was carefully curated. And I see that here with you. So what do you think is a main mission of Toy Wiz? Well, I think it's uh, pretty much actually what we've been talking about. It's we don't want to just be a store because any like we've already said, you know, you can 
anywhere you can just go and you know pick up something you want to buy. We want to create that sense of community. We want people to feel welcome, that they can learn and have fun conversations and really kind of get involved and just have a, a, a full experience instead of just, you know, let me grab my books and get the heck out of here. Yeah. I love that. And again, it's when you walk in there, the store just emanates something really special. I've always been curious about what's going on in the back though. Cause you guys have the, that black curtain right there. Right. And well, I, it's, we're still in the process of renovating it. That's part of why we have the curtains up. Uh, but uh that the, the middle room there is our, our gaming area, which unfortunately right now we can't really use to its fullest extent, uh, you know, prior to the pandemic. And again, once finally things get, uh, you know, cleared up and we're able to start running events again, we'll be having, you know, card game tournaments on a regular basis. One thing that we are still able to do is we have tables set up for miniatures gaming because it's a lot easier to maintain a safe social distance when you have a four foot table between you and your opponent and you don't need to, you know, be touching each other's things. So that main room, that middle room there is going to be set up primarily for gaming once we get uh, everything kind of, uh, again, renovated and everything. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's a great way or will be a great way for people to, you know, hang out and get that uh, sense of community in and get some, you know, some fun competition as well. <laughs> what other kind of games do you host? Well, because <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm not well, a, uh, so I'm we, a video have, gamer. Uh, a, uh, I'm sorry, what was that? I'm sorry. I'm a video gamer, but I'm not a oh, okay. like card gamer or D and D. So At I'm a knob. Explain it to me. Probably going to be getting some more back into uh, hopefully some, some video game stuff. It's uh, but we primarily focus on more of the tabletop stuff right now. So we have uh, when it comes to miniatures, you have Warhammer: Age of Sigmar, which is a fantasy based, uh, you know. Uh, war game uh, Warhammer 40k which is the more popular of the two and that's the that's the sci-fi one where the orcs instead of are wielding just regular swords and are running around loincloths they're now in power armor uh, you've got uh, Star Wars Legion which is a you know a, a troop combat game so if you want to have like just swarms of stormtroopers going up against swarms of rebels that's the game for you there if you'd rather prefer uh, if you prefer aerial dogfights you've got Star Wars X-Wing if you want to have smaller squad based things with some of your favorite superheroes you got marvel crisis protocol uh and those are some of the just the more popular ones that are that we have right now uh for the miniatures games for card games we host tournaments for Yu-Gi-Oh, magic the gathering uh pokemon dragon ball super uh they just launched a digimon game that once uh, things get cleared up we'll be able to run tournaments for that uh we even have a, a small crew that plays uh card fight vanguard so a whole litany of uh, various games. Uh, another thing we're looking forward to is uh, once we can finally get things going again, uh, I'm going to be uh, hopefully DMing some uh, Dungeons and Dragons to get some, you know, a, a way to kind of teach people how to play and you'll get into the game. I would love that. Please, please DM me once you have that kicked off. I have yeah, my word. I have someone that I've been speaking with these last few months who's part of the X-Men community and he made a Dungeons and Dragons reference on his Instagram. I'm like, I don't get it. And he was he was kind of shocked by it because I, I should get it, but I never had the opportunity because I did not grow up within a comic book community. I was sort of the lone wolf at my small Catholic school mm-hmm. in Miami. I didn't have other friends who were kind of within the geeky culture. What's really cool is that between just the general pop culturification of geek culture as it is, just as a whole, uh, D&D specifically has been seeing a major resurgence lately, uh, aside from the popularity of 5th edition after the 
less than stellar reception of fourth edition. Uh, but you've got uh, you know, Stranger Things brought into a lot of people's uh, brought to a lot of people's attention, yeah. and uh, probably the the biggest mover, uh, Critical Role, has been just a huge thing bringing people into the uh, the game. Are you familiar with the uh, Critical Role by any chance? I'm not. I'm not. It is a uh, weekly Twitch stream, which they also. Uh, put up uh, VODs on YouTube and uh, podcasts, which I you know download a week afterwards when they are available on my phone. And it's a bunch of voice actors, uh, uh, Matt Mercer, Liam O'Brien, Laura Bailey, Ashley Johnson, oh, Sam Regal, Taliesin Jaffe, uh, Travis Willingham, Marisha Ray, I think that covers all of them. And it's just these voice actors streaming their weekly Dungeons and Dragons game. And it gets goodness uh i mean sometimes when i pop in uh, just on twitch just out of curiosity to see uh, what's going on uh on a given thursday night they'll have like 80 90 000 viewers just watching them play dungeons and dragons i'm i'm just in awe i'm like listening to you talk right now first of all you said ashley johnson and i loved ashley johnson you know shout out to her cameo in avengers she I'm... also sings the, uh, the theme song for critical role really yep i'm gonna check it look up uh, go on youtube look up your turn to roll uh it's uh she's the the lead vocals laura bailey does uh, backup and then you got uh, sam regal and travis willingham uh kind of doing some uh additional background in the uh the back there but they've got a full like amazing animatic that goes along with it uh which they actually adjust as uh the series progresses like there was a major event Look i don't want to spoil anything in case you I know I will binge on this at four in the but, morning uh, because I suffer from insomnia. No, I mean, they have like literally hundreds of episodes. Each episode is like three to five hours long because it's I'm, just their game. <laughs> I, listen, I cannot the keep up with the, sometimes depending on what's going on in the story. <laughs> I cannot keep up with the kids and Twitch and all the like. I can't even. I just downloaded TikTok and I still I'm like confused by it. <laughs> I know what you're saying. I have as much as I seem to be somewhat on top of things with the various social media. I cannot for the life of me get into Instagram. Oh yeah. Instagram. See, I, I can get into Instagram because I feel that that hit me in that sweet spot, but like Twitch, TikTok, everything has sort of, I've lagged behind on it. So I want to know about you. You mentioned Halloween and costume. Do you guys host Halloween parties? Uh, we don't. No. We, uh, one of the things that, uh, the comic industry does is, uh, the free comic book day yes takes place in may but uh, a few years back they uh, kind of expanded it to a second free comic book day at their halloween comic fest so uh since you know we had a bunch of you know the freebie uh, halloween you know themed books and everything to give out uh we also had a uh, we brought in some artists just as a uh, as a you know event for the day and we do occasionally host you know artists we have a uh, we work with a company called uh, artist allies that has gotten us uh, some you know artists that come in and they'll they'll do sketches in in the store they'll sell prints we actually have uh, done a couple of uh, exclusive toy was variant covers uh sorry to go off on a little bit of a tangent there no 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 please go shout out to uh, to ben harvey who's done some amazing artwork for us to uh, sean anderson who also did one of those covers and to roberto jimenez who is the the agent and who's you know brought them to our attention uh but uh, yeah on that uh, one particular halloween comic fest day i decided you know let's just go all in like the year before i'm like okay you know what Daredevil's very popular right now. I've got the look. I just put on a suit and I went as Kingpin Fisk. And uh, I saw that on your Facebook or Instagram. I stalked you before. Mm-hmm. How was that? I wanted to ask you about that. How was it? How was it being the Kingpin? 
Well, it uh, <laughs> certainly does have its benefits. <laughs> Though it can be trying sometimes. <laughs> Just trying to maintain one's composure. So that was my, my next question was going to be, first of all, that impression is so wonderful. I'm forgetting the actor's name. What's his name? Oh, uh, Vincent D'Onofrio? Yes, there you go. So who do you think did a better job? Uh, Daredevil Kingpin or animated Spider-Man Kingpin? You know, it's it's apples and oranges. What what yeah. D'Onofrio did with the character, and I don't know how much was him, how much was the, the writers on that, and, and Daredevil was just phenomenal across the board, great performances from everybody involved. But it was such a different take on Kingpin than we've seen in the in the comics in any of the animated series that it really is hard to say fair assessment that's a very fair assessment yeah i, th- I think it'd be just i'd be willing to give d'onofrio the edge just because it was something so uh such a radical departure from what we expected it i as hell i loved the netflix heroes i mean iron fist was what it was <laughs> yeah loris tyrell wasn't exactly the uh nice eye candy but uh wasn't exactly the uh wouldn't have been my choice for for Danny Rand. It wouldn't have been my choice either, but I follow him on Instagram and he's sort of this, you know, millionaire hippie already. Mm -hmm. I don't know why they didn't bring that to the character and maybe tackled issues of appropriation and stuff like that and make it a little bit more relevant. We got that a little later on with Defenders when Iron Fist and Luke Cage were having a conversation, but not enough to save that series in particular. But Daredevil, Jessica Jones, and Luke Cage were phenomenal. I love Daredevil and the born again storyline we got in season three. I'm heartbroken. It didn't come back for a fourth season. I am very happy to see uh, that Charlie Cox is going to be still Matt Murdock in, uh, in Spider-Man three. I'm so happy. Kevin Feige decided to keep him. <laughs> We're very grateful for that. Oh we, yes. So I want to ask about the pandemic okay. and what it sounds like you guys took this opportunity to remodel and make the store bigger and better. But I'm sure that came with a lot of anxiety and planning. So I'm curious, what has been the most challenging part of the pandemic as a comic book seller? I'd say the, well, just in general, the uncertainty, uh, because we we are so community-based in what we we do, having that inability to kind of reach out to people and you'll foster that sense of community has been a uh, a challenge. Uh, Once things, you know, started opening back up, we managed, everyone just came running on back because they were craving that, uh, craving that uh, human contact again. But uh, yeah, not knowing on a a week to week or even a day-to-day basis of, are the restrictions going to start getting uh, worse? Are they going to ease up on things? When can we start uh, kind of opening things back up? And uh, just from a, a general perspective, that's that uncertainty was the biggest thing. With regard to comics specifically, uh, I don't want to throw too much shade, but... Uh, <laughs> you can be salty. You can be as salty as you want. <laughs> I want to preface this by saying that DC has some really amazing 
talent. Uh, their writers and their artists are putting out such great books and yeah. doing a phenomenal job with everything. Uh, I understand that they were, with, with reason, uh, not happy with the way that uh, Diamond had decided to handle things as far as distribution of comics and essentially just shutting things down for a couple yeah. of months. And I understand they wanted to keep getting their books out there. It was one of those situations where there was really no good way to go about doing anything. If you shut everything down, then it's a matter of, oh, great, now we have no product to get out there as far as the comics go. If you start sending things out, then the stores that were stuck in states that had stricter restrictions that weren't able to be open, they're now losing a lot of their business online because there is material they're just not able to, to sell. So I understand that they were unhappy with the decision uh, by Diamond to be like, okay, look, we're going to stop distributing for a couple months until we are allowed to again. Uh, but setting up new distribution venues is mildly chaotic in the best of times. During a pandemic, it was a mess. Oh. And unfortunately, and again, I, I don't want to cast too much shade on them because again, they have amazing talent. They're getting some great books out there. Yeah. I love what James Tyne has been doing with the Batman stuff. Uh, but it certainly added additional chaos on top of an already chaotic situation. Yeah. And Carl, just to be very clear, we don't like to throw any hate or shade, you no, know, exactly. towards any creators. And I love that vibe that you keep reiterating, but you know, there is a way to look at things objectively, which you have done. And I, I want to backpedal a second because I'm curious, what was it like when you got word that diamond wasn't going to be distributing? any of any of the books for a couple months because i remember reading that and i was like but the comic book sellers and i'm just curious from your perspective how was it getting that news and how did you guys not only weather it but you guys came out stronger well my perspective with it was you know being in new york uh well store being in new york i'm in fourth new jersey but we're all the same place for all intents and purposes uh since we were underneath those restrictions, we weren't really going to have an easy way to get the stuff out there. We were still working on kind of revamping the way we we're handling comics on the website. But at the time, because we were undergoing a bunch of reorganization, uh, I was still handling the store end of things. And this, and now I handle the website uh, comic stuff as well. But uh, there was really since we weren't able to be open for our customers, I actually saw it as a, okay, good. I don't need to worry now about losing or about not being able to provide the books to the people that rely on me to, you know, get their books for them. Mm -hmm. So as unfortunate as it was, and as a, a comic reader myself, uh, though I do tend to trade weight just because I don't have time for all the thousands of books we have in. <laughs> There's Plus, I just so many. from my bookshelf as opposed to having to constantly pull them out of bags and boards and you know bring out the uh, the tweezers to make sure I'm not damaging anything. Uh, but uh, as much as I you know, wanted to see more material coming out there, I'm like, okay, good. This is something I don't need to worry about right now. I don't need to worry about this stuff because I don't have the books you know, to put out. I can now focus on inventorying our back stock, on uh, you know, just kind of getting stuff put together. That's a really wonderful and positive approach. Is that 
sort of the perspective you bring to a lot of things in your job, just that level of positivity? I try to. <laughs> There's uh look, I'll level with you. I hate myself. I'm a terrible person, but I, I lie about it. <laughs> no, it's a, it's there's a lot of crap out there already. So even yeah. if you're having a bad day or whatever, you can't really, you have to, you know, put on a happy face and you know, project that positivity because people are going to remember that. And it's sometimes it can be a little on the difficult side, but ultimately if you start trying to train yourself to focus on the positives, it really just comes out a bit more uh, in just, it comes just more naturally over time. And uh, it seems to resonate with people. I'm, I mean, I'm I, charismatic. I, I obviously they're right. It's <laughs> <laughs> I'm and I can a, get away with jokes like that because I, I usually toss out the self-deprecating humor, so people know I'm joking when I'm you know get really narcissistic. <laughs> <laughs> well, you you mask it with such a great smile right there. Well, thank you. No, I was just going to piggyback off of what you were saying because I'm a benefit auctioneer, and. I need to walk into a benefit 100% on high energy, sort of in the weeds of that organization, absorbed in their mission. And there's no time for my own personal feelings. So you sort of learn how to compartmentalize if you're having a bad day or if everything has gone wrong mm -hmm. up until that moment. It's just got to melt away because, and what I love about what you just said right now, it's not about you. Right. When I walk into a benefit, it's not about me. It's about the community there that needs to be lifted up. And you sort of get a high from that because the energy that people bring, it's just so wonderful and so beautiful. I would imagine talking to you now, it's the same with being a comic book seller. Mm -hmm. You know, who cares if you're, I'm not, I don't want to say who cares if you're having a bad day. That's not what I'm trying to say. It's, you can compartmentalize because you're you're being client facing and it's such a joy and a great community to just partake in and have conversations with people who wander into the store and have a genuine curiosity about this culture. Yeah, and the positivity certainly you know, compounds upon itself. You know, the more positivity you put out, the more you'll start getting back there. And no matter if your makeup may be flaking, a smile stays on. <laughs> the words of the immortal bard, Freddie Mercury. <laughs> So wait, I, I just want to ask one more question about distribution with DC. I'm curious, how has DC's new distribution model affected you guys personally? Is there much of a difference? I know you said it was a mess and that's fine. I understand things are disorganized, but has it impacted the industry as a whole and how has it impacted the industry as a whole? I've had some very positive interactions with Lunar. Uh, UCS, we dealt with for the first, uh, several months because, uh, they were handling the East coast, but then once the, uh, the contracts were getting renegotiated, uh, they decided not to re-up. So we then had to switch over to Lunar who had previously had just been handling the West coast, but are now handling the full nationwide uh, distribution for DC. And, uh, while you can never get anybody on the phone, they don't even provide a phone number. Oh. If I you know, send them an email, they'll get back to me almost immediately. Uh, sometimes they may not have the information I need, but at least, you know, they'll make the effort to respond and be like, look, I'm sorry, we haven't heard anything back about this, but, uh, you know, at least, you know, we're, we, we are, we hear you. <laughs> and that is just, you know, knowing that at least they're, 
they're willing to you know have that contact you know, to you know let you know that you are being heard it, it does kind of help not necessarily in terms of the oh great we had a ton of pre-orders for a bunch of action figures that suddenly are no longer on the docket but uh at least it's like okay well they're in the same boat that we are and it's yeah. okay Okay, good. So let's switch gears and talk about you. My favorite subject. <laughs> so tell me, when did your passion for comic books begin? Well, I guess it began the same way that it is for, for most people. You know, I found this cute guy on Facebook and he was into comics. And I, <laughs> fact, no, I, I made a, I, I met a, a friend through a, a Facebook group who was into comics and it was something I'd always been kind of interested in. Uh, I'd never actually read any, but I was familiar with the characters just through general pop culture osmosis. And uh, he gave me a lot of advice as far as, you know, where to begin on different things uh, because I was, uh, he was a huge X-Men fan and I was a huge fan of the X-Men from the, uh, the 90s uh, TV series. Mm -hmm. uh, he suggested that I jump in with uh, Ultimate X-Men because I didn't need to worry about all the past history and all the, the craziness with uh, you know, decades and decades of mutant mania. And I could just kind of jump in with Ultimate X-Men. So I started with that. Uh, and then around that same time is when Civil War was coming out, which obviously was a huge, huge event for Marvel, despite the fact that, you know, in retrospect, all the characters were acting way out of character and being jerks for no reason whatsoever, but it was entertaining. And I, agree. I just kind of, uh, my uh, love for comics just kind of grew from there. I very quickly fell in love with Deadpool because he just had that, that horrible, evil, dark sense of humor that I loved. And uh, I enjoyed the hell out of uh, Fabian Nietzsche's, uh, I hope I'm pronouncing that name correctly. Uh, the Cable and Deadpool run he was doing. I went back and found the uh, the Joe Kelly run and just fell in love with that. Uh, and yeah, just kept going from there. I enjoyed uh, Marvel 1602 was a great one that, uh, yeah, I'm a bit more of a Marvel guy than a DC guy, but uh, I respect both companies for what they've done. Well, you're, ta you're on an X-Men podcast, so. <laughs> exactly, it fits perfectly that way. But uh, I need to know who was this guy who recommended Ultimate X Men to you? Like, I'm gonna like go to his house <laughs> and give him a stern talking. Why would he do that to you? Well, like I said, you know, it was a it was in the Ultimate <laughs> Universe. It was separate from any of the the deeper yeah. continuity and the craziness that was going on. Uh, he is a huge X Men fan. His favorite is uh, is Angel. We're not going to hold that against him. Uh, he's got the tattoo oh. on his on his back. Sean, if you're listening to this, I'm sorry for me throwing this. <laughs> Sean, we are just right being now. salty. It's it's fine. I actually think the beginning. Yeah, he was, he was of helpful Ultimate. as hell. We, we would, yeah. We would, uh, he he was he was a huge fan. Still is a huge comic fan. And uh, you know he made sure to uh, you know send me a message over uh, Twitter a couple weeks ago of when he reset his uh, Marvel Legends figures to have uh, Photon getting blasted away by Scar. Scarlet Witch after yes. that happened in WandaVision. And <laughs> Wait, are you watching WandaVision? No, not at all. What are you talking about? Oh my God. <laughs> uh, I, I, I got to give, if aside from just the general awesomeness that the series is, and oddly enough, it gives me really strong Desperate Housewives vibes, but I think, I think that's part of why I love it. But I love Desperate Housewives. I give them a lot of credit because Agatha all along actually turned out to be the antidote to if you ever get the 877 cars for kids <laughs> anthem stuck in your head. You start thinking about Agatha all along. It's such a strong earworm. It will knock the other one out of your head. <laughs> and while it's stuck in your head, you're going to feel wonderful because it, it's Agatha all along and it's great. And, and yes, I ended up buying the first appearance of Agatha Harkness after that weekend. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I am just so happy we live in a world where Agatha Harkness is a household name and was yes. on Twitter because when I was reading Agatha in the Fantastic Four series where she was just a nanny for Franklin Richards mm-hmm. and then later in the Vision the Scarlet Witch volume two run she stood out to me and I loved her. And my abuela would be like, why are you obsessed with La Viejita? You know, which is Spanish. Like, why are you obsessed with the little old woman? I'm like, cause she's amazing. And there was this misconception that superheroes had to be these strong guys who always got the girl or if they were a super villain, they had to, you know, always want the girl. And someone like Agatha early on, Agatha, Madame Webb, were just characters that really resonated with me. And same with Irene Atler. And I'm just so excited to see where these characters can go in the, oh, future, yeah. in the Marvel universe, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So you are, well, when did Civil War come out? That was like 15 years ago, right? Let's see. I started working at Toy Wiz in 2007, so that probably would have been about maybe two years before. So around two, probably around 2005, I want to say. Yeah. So you came to comics a little later in yeah. life. You weren't. You didn't grow up reading. Are you saying I'm old. Well, <laughs> I, I'm probably older than you. <laughs> but how old are you? I'm 37. How old are you? God bless you. <laughs> I am older than you. You have a very youthful glow to you. So that's oh, why I thought you were. I'm, I'm also used to always being the oldest person in the room now, which I love. I like getting older. I have no qualms with it. My family, we have my, uh, I think we get it from my, my mother. My brother, sister, and I, we all look young for our age. Uh-huh. Uh, we also look nothing like each other. Uh, <laughs> I look like Stone Cold Steve Austin. My brother looks like Ryan Reynolds. I love I, Stone Cold Steve Austin. I was obsessed with growing up, but <laughs> Ryan Reynolds has never really done it for me. Me neither, but that's because he looks, like brother. Well, he looks like is he a brother, My brother old? has you know, focused on looking like him. <laughs> well, that can also explain your Deadpool, your love for Deadpool. Well, actually, it's, it's funny because I, my love for Deadpool came before, you know, any of the movies came out before, uh, you know, even that god-awful X-Men Origins Wolverine movie <sighs> where Ryan Reynolds was still the best part of it. When I heard it, he had been really? cast as Deadpool, I'm like, you know what, that is perfect. There was even that, that joke in early on in the Cable and Deadpool run uh, where you know, he says, you know, I look like Ryan Reynolds crossed with a Sharpay. <laughs> he just, his sense of humor really does fit with Deadpool's sense of humor. So he really is the perfect person for that role. And I remember hearing that, I believe it was when he had been cast in Blade Trinity uh, and the director is like, okay, the way I want you to play this part, you know, here's this character called Deadpool. Read these books that's how I wanted to play this character. And that's when Ryan Reynolds became a huge Deadpool fan. And, uh, you know, the rest is, is history. Glorious, glorious history that resulted in two amazing standalone, you know, Deadpool films. Uh, the second of which really should have been nominated for a uh, Best Original Song Oscar for Celine Dion's Ashes. But that was just a crime that it wasn't. <laughs> I love these reads. You have opened up the library tonight and I am <laughs> all here for it. So you came to the comic books about 15, whatever the math is, years ago with Civil War. What, when you were growing up, you mentioned you were watching the X-Men animated series. Was that your first exposure to the X-Men or is there something? That was my first exposure to the X-Men. And I loved 
that series. Uh, just everything about it was just, I, I didn't even realize that they were just directly adapting stories from the comics. I just, you know, found them to be, you know, compelling characters, compelling stories. I completely adored Storm. Uh, yes. Storm and Beast are my two favorite X-Men. I'm so glad that they were you know, together on one of the covers for, you know, the X-Men one when uh, Jim Lee and Claremont uh, launched that series. I fucking hate Beast. I'm sorry. <laughs> I love Beast every... is an asshole, but I love I like the way he was pre- animated, yes, animated Beast, Beast is great because he's, you know, he's, you know, the big burly character, but he's got the brain and that's wonderful. Yeah. yeah, you look at the way he's written in most comics and he is just the worst. So I try to ignore that and just focus on the I'm going to take it a step further. Where did he get his PhD from? I'm sorry, what was that? Where did he get his PhD from? <laughs> no one knows. I have asked everyone. No one knows because he's a fucking liar because he showed up yeah. to the Avengers one day and was like, ooh, I have a PhD in like whatever it was, gen- genetics or, mm-hmm. or I'm forgetting now. He worked at the brand corporation. He did go, I'm forgetting what college he did for undergrad that was mentioned. But after the brand corporation, he just shows up in Avengers when they have that TV commercial asking for people to come try out. And that's it. We're just supposed to accept the fact that in that interim, he got his doctorate degree in genetics. Look, I'm open to being wrong. I'm sure I missed something. There could be a throwaway line anywhere in canon, but I fucking think he's a sociopathic liar and he fucked with my boy Scott Summers and not here for it. And he's very much, and again, much more in, in the comics, and you don't you don't see the, the element of it in the uh, the animated series at all. He is very full of himself. Yeah, he is the I am the smartest one in the room, so I am always right. Even as his decisions keep compounding, and horrible, horrible things happen <laughs> as a result. See the most recent X Force run. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So it's funny we interviewed the Leewalds back in like November, Eric and Julia Leewald, who created the series. And they talked about adapting those stories. They didn't know anything about the X-Men until they finally got the pitch through the door. And Marvel used to have to fax them, like the character bios, the logos for certain characters. And they were able to create this series that has had such a meaningful impact on on a generation of viewers like you and i oh yeah i remember the memes were just going around where it just shows the uh you know, do you want to skip the intro no, of course not I've never it just show, show the picture of old captain america no i don't think so <laughs> but uh i don't know just animation in general now i'm about to go all get off my lawn lawnish on this one but I don't know, there's something about the animation from the 90s just had a very unique look to it. Oh, I agree. And for all the 80s and now 90s nostalgia, you know, as we all know, nostalgia has a 30-year cycle. <laughs> uh, just pulling that out of my rear end. Uh, but it's, it's, <laughs> it's one of those things that everyone just kind of talks about. You see, you see it happening. I can't cite a specific source, but I digress. <laughs> yeah, just in general, most they don't really have that same... Cartoons now don't have that same look. Yeah, and it's uh, it's not that there was a specific like type of look. It was just kind of a weird like kind of feel to it, that uh, I guess just in terms of animation techniques and just uh, what is more popular has changed. And uh, while the characters and stuff will always you know have that uh, that nostalgia center to them, 
don't know. I just don't see it being the same. It's kind of like as as much as I loved DuckTales as a kid, uh, I loved David Tennant. I loved the rest of the cast they had for the uh, the reboot, but it just didn't quite sit with me the same way that the original did. I agree with you. I'm a huge DuckTales stan. I love the original DuckTales. I've tuned in for a handful of the rebooted series, and there's nothing wrong with it. And I do like the stylization of the animation, but it just, there's something that's lacking there. I yeah. can't pinpoint it. And but... I like some of the changes they made too. I like that they, they gave uh, Webigail a bit more of a personality, made her a yeah. lot stronger. I like what they, that they turned Mrs. Beakley into a complete badass. Yeah. Uh, again, I love David Tennant, but I, I think he's, he sounded a little too young for Uncle Scrooge. Uncle Scrooge needed to be a bit more gruff. Uh, they really, if they wanted to go with a Scottish doctor, they should have gone with uh, Peter Capaldi. But uh, I know everyone loves, you know, you know 10. <laughs> so tell me, you mentioned that you're a Marvel guy. Yes. Why Marvel over DC? What is it about the Marvel characters that speaks to you? I think, and it has, you know, changed a bit more as time goes on, but DC's superheroes tend to be more archetypal, I guess, uh, for lack of a better word. It's like DC has, you know, the big superheroes, whereas Marvel tends to have more people that got superpowers. Yeah. It's, and it's, it's weird to say that because, you know, obviously, you know, Bruce Wayne isn't a, uh, you know, a, a superhero. He's just, you know, a, you know, billionaire with a ton of money that he's able to, you know, turn into really <laughs> lovely toys. But uh, I always say that more human about the Marvel characters that just for whatever reason appeal to me a bit more. I think as a whole, and again, there's plenty of humor to be found on, on you know, both sides of the big two aisle. Uh, absolutely adored Gail Simone's uh, Secret Six run uh, as far as, you know, humor with DC. But Marvel's... St- just something about the, they have a feel that's a little more open and just kind of like uh, they kind of they don't take themselves quite as seriously uh they're in fact very frequently making fun of themselves and poking fun <laughs> at their the distinguished competition and i don't know there's something that and again it's, it's not I can't even necessarily cite specific examples because for everything I want to say, well, Marvel does this, I think, better than DC. I could also bring up a, an example of DC doing that same thing completely wonderfully. Yeah. But uh, yeah, there's something about the the general personality of Marvel and some of those characters they just happen to like a bit better. I agree. For me, I read as much as I can get my hands on. And I have a lot of love for Bruce Wayne, for DC characters. I love Stephanie Brown, for example. And I think... Her Batgirl run in particular speaks so much to me at a certain point in my life where I was second guessing myself and she was a hero against all the odds and she was a hero her own way. Mm -hmm. And she may have not been, she may not have been Batman's first choice as a Robin. She may not have been renowned, but she was still a superhero and she loved being a hero. But I think with Marvel, the X-Men got to me first and it was the mutant metaphor that spoke to me so profoundly at a young age. And a lot of them, I I felt with DC, I was reading books on mythology, whereas with Marvel, it was giving me a baseline for me to understand what it meant to be an outsider. Right. It meant to be the other and 
I sort of was able to evolve my thinking at a young age by digesting these stories, even though I wasn't aware of it. I was, I was able to look at things in an analytical lens. It just came easier for me when it came to Marvel books. I absolutely agree with that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's one of the wonderful things about the X-Men that, and obviously it's not a, a, a perfect analogy because, you know, the various marginalized groups that, you know, kind of see themselves reflecting the mutants, uh, the mutants have a bit more of a legitimate reason for people to be afraid of them. I mean, because yeah. they are able to, you know, fire optic force beams out of their eyes or control the weather. So there is a bit more of a physical, yes, there is something there that's different, but just still that the the general themes of otherness and uh, yeah. the way the society kind of like looks upon them really are very resonant and very powerful. Yeah, I agree. So tell me, how did you get your job at Toy Wiz? This is, so it's 2007, right? Or 2006? Uh, I started in 2007. I so had, you're a fresh reader. You're a fresh comic book reader. Yep. Did you just love the books that much that you just went to Toy Wiz and you're like, hi, please hire me? It actually started off with uh, my best friend, Mike. Uh, we were working together at uh, a, a video game retailer that I will not mention the name of, lest all of a sudden it's stock start changing again. Uh, <laughs> but uh, he was really big into Yu-Gi-Oh! at the time. And I, you know, he kind of got me into the game. We were playing quite a bit. And he had been getting a bunch of cards from Toy Wiz. And uh, he's like, you know what? They're nearby. They run tournaments. Let's go there. So we started going there for Yu-Gi-Oh! tournaments. And while I was there, uh, I noticed that some of the other, you know, people that were there were playing Magic the Gathering. I'm like, hey, well, wow, I used to play Magic, you know, back in, you know, the early 90s, back when the uh, the game first came out. You know, we would, you know, get out of, uh, out of school, hang out at my house, put Bob Ross on in the background and just play some Magic. So I got back into Magic there. And uh, I was, you know, Every week we'd go in there and Mike would play Yu-Gi-Oh! I'd play Magic. And then uh, a couple of years, uh, after maybe about a year and a half or maybe, maybe even two years or so of us uh, just, you know, having been there for quite a bit, uh, they had an opening for an assistant manager. And I, I'm like, hey, look, I'm willing, I'm able. And uh, they knew that I was, you know, into comics as far as, because I was buying a bunch of trade paperbacks from them at the time also. And uh, they're like, cool, we need somebody who is very knowledgeable about comics. So I, you know, jumped on in. And there I was very quickly uh, won over all of the, uh, the our comic readers because as uh, everyone knows, comic readers are very much creatures of habit. And when something changes, immediately it's like, wait a second, who is this guy? Is he gonna screw up all my requests? What if I don't get the books I need every week? It's <laughs> But I very quickly managed to win everybody over and I've been there ever since. So what do you think is the difference working for a company that shall not be named unless their stocks go flying through the roof, <laughs> which is a video game company versus a comic book store? I think it's more of a, an issue of, uh, you know, family owned versus corporate owned in some ways. Mm. But because uh, you don't have, you know, big corporate owned uh, comic stores, most of them do tend to be a lot more family run and there is a much more familial atmosphere to it. It's more about being able to connect with people and, you know, kind of letting your love of the product shine through as opposed to being like, you must get X number of pre-orders and, you know, Y number of add-ons for uh, uh, subscriptions to our, you know, thing. <laughs> I believe that's exactly what it's called. That's the thing. You get a car that just says thing on it. And... 
you subscribe to the thing. The reason why I asked that question is because I'm a huge video game fan as well. I love Zelda. And nice. one of the things that I did in my neighborhood when I had game, a GameStop, I would go to the counter and the store manager there, which was this great guy named Anthony. I would just be there and we'd talk about Zelda and Hyrule and other games that were coming out. And it's a lot like going to a comic book store mm -hmm. and having those conversations with people. So I can see why they would have hired you because you already have that experience. You already have the backbone in that. And mm -hmm. as we're talking more and more, it's not that I never thought about this, but a big part of your job is to be able to nurture and grow a community and, and to establish that trust with people who come in and they know you're going to have answers. And if not, someone else will have answers and you can create that cyclical conversation with okay. others. And if someone pops in, like, like I was mentioning before, someone comes in and has a question about Warhammer, I'll be like, okay, I can help you a little bit the painting with some stuff because I like to, you know, assemble and paint the miniatures. But as far as the gameplay, hold on one moment. Let me get Lewis for you. <laughs> so you started off as an assistant manager, and now we've established you have the coolest job title ever. You're yeah. a comics manager, and you are master of ceremonies of social media. How Okay, wait, let me, let me think about how I want to phrase this question. Walk me through the years of how you started off and where you're at now. But then I want to ask specifically what your day-to-day -day includes. So just focus on the, the in-between from where you started and where you're at today. Alrighty. Uh, well, let's see. So I was, even as the assistant manager, I was, you know, kind of just handling most of the main, you know, day-to-day -day operations of the store for quite a while. Um, even then as eventually I ended up becoming the store manager and I was kind of like dealing with everything, running around, putting out fires while at the same time maintaining the, uh, the comic club and everything. And uh, then when we started kind of revamping things, uh, I got a, a lot more help with me. So, uh, you know, JD was brought in uh, to kind of supervise everything uh, and was able to, uh, you know, kind of refocus on acquiring you know, the new fixtures and everything for the big uh, renovation and everything that was going on. Uh, and we were able to kind of like compartmentalize a bit more. So I could actually, you know, focus on growing the comics instead of having to have my hands in all of the different pies. So I was able to kind of step back and really just kind of let the, uh, the comic stuff grow, which uh, has been working out really well so far, I think. Uh, as far as like a day-to-day -day, uh, thing for me, I have a, uh, I guess a, a bit of a, uh, a routine that I follow, and it's more of a week thing. Uh, on Mondays, I'll uh, I'll check in all of the uh, stuff we get from uh, from DC. So I'll go through, make sure everything's uh, all you know correct as far as what we ordered, and make sure the invoice you know, matches what's actually in the boxes. Divide everything up as far as you know. Okay, this person gets this in their poll list. This person gets that, and get all that divided up. I repeat that same thing on Tuesday with the shipment from Diamond that has everyone else's stuff. Uh, Wednesday, I make sure the display is all nice for everyone to come on in, get all their books, you know, make suggestions for people, you know, to kind of talk about where things are going, give recommendations, warn people away from the stuff that's garbage. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and and every day, you know, I'm checking up on our website, seeing what's been moving, what I need to, uh, you know, tweak and everything. Uh, going back to Mondays, uh, it is the what the, they call final order cutoff for a diamond and the way that i'm gonna have to back up a little bit more and just kind of get a little more into inside baseball with it yeah uh, go for it 
so comics are ordered essentially two months in advance. Uh, so this way they can you know, compile what all the stores need and then print stuff to those requests. Uh, so we put our initial orders in towards the end of the month and then each book from the, the major publishers, some of the small uh, publishers, once you have that initial order, that's it. But the, uh, the bigger publishers, obviously the big two, but also, you know, like Image, IDW, Dynamite, Dark Horse, uh, Boom, uh, who's gotten huge lately. Oh, yeah. Uh, they'll do what they call a final order cutoff. So you have maybe an extra, you know, three or four weeks that you can still tweak things. So I'm looking at our inventory numbers. How much did this sell in the store? How much did this sell online? And then I'll be able to make my adjustments based on that. So every Monday I go through the list of, okay, these are the books that are on final order, final order cutoff for this day. And then I'll go double check the inventory on it, double check what's sold and be like, okay, wow, my initial, you know, projections on this turn out to be way too optimistic. It looks like, you know, between the previous issue and then the uh, one that came after it, sales dropped quite a bit. So I need to cut my orders back a little bit further or wow, all of a sudden this book just sold right the hell out or we got a ton of pre-orders in between the initial order and the final order cutoff. I got to make sure I order a hell of a lot more and then maybe add a few extras on top of that to account for people who didn't pre-order them. Okay. So I, I get like to that, that on, uh, on Mondays for, uh, for Diamond and because uh, the lunar FOCs are on Sundays, I usually go through those on, uh, on Friday uh, since I'm off on Saturdays and Sundays, but I'll still be, you know, popping onto the uh, computer system and logging in, you know, from home just to take a look at things or if anything else, you know, suddenly happens over the weekend. Oh, wait a second. They just announced this character showing up in a movie. Got to go check my inventory, see if I have their first appearance and make adjustments based on that. And uh, yeah, so it's just constantly, you know, kind of keep my ear to, uh, to the, uh, the railway track hearing if the uh, the big oncoming train of uh, you know this character is showing up on the new disney plus show and then uh, you know reacting accordingly <laughs> i used to work at sales at harper collins and one of the things that i always loved was the relationship we try to grow with our indie sellers and i'm curious since you're talking about putting in these orders finding out that, oh, you know, Agatha Harkness is going to be revealed, you know, in this episode of WandaVision. Do we have sort of some back issues with her in it? Do you have a personal communication or excuse me, a personal relationship with anyone at the big two publishers or any of the other publishers where if they know something like WandaVision is coming down the pipeline and it's going to be big, they're going to reach out. They'll send you like a package, a press release. Is there, do you guys have that flow of communication? Not exactly. Uh, unfortunately, I don't have anyone at the you know within the upper echelons of any of the companies to kind mm -hmm. of you know, slim me any you know, warnings. So I'm more just kind of checking the various uh, you know comic news websites or various like speculator sites just to kind of see what the, the general rumblings are on different things. Anything that might have leaked to someone else that starts leaking further out into the internet. Uh, Marvel's really nice in that on a weekly basis they do send out a newsletter of. Uh, uh, to warn me of you know any like second printings or whatever that are coming out, any special offers they're running, so I can kind of notice that okay, wait a second, there's actually doing a different cover for the second printing that's brand new. So let me quickly send out a uh, uh, some feelers into my social media. Hey, look, everyone on Facebook, you know this is the new cover they're doing with uh, you know brand new artwork for. Uh, okay, here's an example: King and Black uh, Gwenum versus Carnage number one. Uh, there was a gorgeous one in twenty five variant. Uh, by Inhyuk Lee of Gwen with the Venom symbiote. So when they did a second printing for the book because it had done so well, 
they commissioned him to do pretty much the exact same thing, but with Mary Jane in the Carnage symbiote. Mm-hmm. So I was able to you know, hop onto uh, the site, get the download the image of that file, put it up on Facebook, and uh, I even put together a, a newsletter for my... Uh, uh, you know, an email blast for everyone. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, hey, look, this is the cover. It's coming out in, you know, four weeks. Final order cutoffs on Monday. You want it, let me know now. <laughs> and I'm able to put it up on the website, you know, put it up for pre-order. And I was able to kind of, you know, figure out what I need to get based on all that. Uh, last Friday, uh, DC made an announcement that uh, they're doing a Batman Fortnite crossover comic book. Yeah. And the uh, initial orders for the first issue are due on Sunday. So I had about a week to, you know, kind of get on top of that. But I immediately, you know, got the materials I could, put up the, the pictures online that this is the cover A by uh, uh, Michael Janin, cover B by Kenneth Rockefort. There's a, a third premium cover by, I think it's Donald Mustard, I believe, who I think is actually one of the. Uh, designers of Fortnite. He's actually co-writing the series with Christos Gage. And I'm able to get that stuff up there and show people, hey, look, this is what's coming out. And while video game related stuff tends not to do as you know well in the store, it is exploding on our website. What is the best part of your job? Things like this. Talking geek stuff with uh, with other people. It's it's just you know being able to to share my love for all this uh, you know for all the comic stuff, all the the geeky stuff I'm into, and just seeing that that same passion for that same nerdy stuff reflected in other people. I hope I'm your favorite person to talk about comic book stuff with. You now. are absolutely my favorite person to talk <laughs> comics with right now. Stop now! I'm blushing at this specific moment. <laughs> At this specific to moment, until to talk to somebody else tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> until tomorrow. <laughs> Listen, no, I, I, no, in, in all seriousness, you've been a complete blast, and thank you so much. No, thank you. I'm just a whole hell of a lot of fun. I'm having so much fun here. I have a couple more questions for you, and then I'll Please, let you go, go right for ahead. the evening. So, tell me about the weekly comic book club you have on YouTube. Okay. Uh, it's pretty basic. There really isn't too much no, to say about it. Uh, pretty much, uh, we we wanted to try to you know branch out a bit more into our various social media, get more content going out there. So uh, it's pretty much in addition to I, I send like a weekly email to all of my uh, club members with here, look, this is what's going to be on the shelves this week. This is what's going to be out next week. So for YouTube, I just put together a nice little slideshow. I, I run it through the uh, Streamlabs OBS that I use for my Twitch streams, and uh, just kind of give a basic overview of them. This is. You know, this publisher has this book out this week. I go through them all alphabetically. And uh, in some cases, I try to like pick a few books that uh, I'd kind of go into a little bit more detail about. Uh, for example, I know that uh, this week with uh, Berserker number one was a, a huge book. We sold so many copies of that today so quickly. I was surprised that I ran out as quickly as I did on that one. But, uh, you know, so I went into that one in a little bit, just the fact that, you know, it's co-written by, you know, Ted Theodore Logan himself. Uh, uh, I went into a bit more detail about Noctera because I was uh, privileged enough to be on a, a Zoom call with Scott Snyder and uh, Tony Daniel a few weeks back that was moderated yeah. by uh, uh, some of the guys over at Image uh, when they were talking about the series. You could tell that they were really passionate about it and really into it. So I'm like, I need to you know share this with everyone else. Uh, last week, and I, I, I want to bring this one up specifically because uh, the, the two creators have been completely wonderful and I need to give them a shout out. Uh, there's a book called Stray Dogs uh, that came out from Image, uh, written by uh, Tony Fleeks and illustrated by Trish Forstner. Again, they're both 
complete sweethearts, wonderful people. Uh, when they, when I initially heard about the premise of the book, I was fascinated. It was billed as Lady and the Tramp meets Silence of the Lambs <laughs> with a very Don Bluthian style to the artwork. And the second I heard that pitch, I'm like, oh, I am in. <laughs> so I immediately I found too. out as much information as I could about it. I immediately told all of my, uh, my club members about it and I posted up on Twitter and I, you know, I added both of them and they both actually responded. And Tony was like, oh my God, I'm so ha uh, happy you're excited about this book. Let me send you PDFs of the first three issues. Wow, okay, that's I'll so great. Absolutely read them, I read through them, it was phenomenal. Uh, Trish you know, started following us back on, on Twitter and she's been retweeting a lot of our stuff. Uh, she uh, you know, had been even just you know, non-comic related stuff. She uh, had picked up some uh, of the latest Pokemon set from our website. <laughs> and uh, we're hoping that once the, uh, the pandemic uh, eases up, we'll, we want to try to get her up here from, uh, from Baltimore so she can be in this, the uh, store at some point. But, uh, but she's been just a complete, uh, complete sweetheart as well. And uh, I know I've got often a, a bit of a tangent there, but I did want to give them a shout out. But last week when that book was you know, new and on the shelves, I made sure as I was going through my, my weekly video to go into a bit more detail about it because I'm like, people need to know about this. And not that it needed my help. I mean, the book turned out to you know, do complete gangbusters for, for Image and for the two of them. It, uh, it, went to a, it is going to a second printing with a brand new cover that uh, Trish did, which is gorgeous, uh, like the rest of her artwork. And it really does have a, uh, it does feel like you know it could have been you know alongside the alongside things like american tale or secret of nim or anything else that you know bluth had put out with that you know under a current of darkness a little bit more so than in the bluth stuff because <laughs> it may involve a serial killer but uh <laughs> but uh, i think uh and I, again i'm just giving shoutouts left and right to give a, a shout out to uh one of my uh, my favorite regulars Corey, uh because he you know completely fed off of my excitement for the book and he went nuts about it uh he texted me that night with a uh, he took a picture of one of the the two-page spreads just a bunch of the dogs just lounging around in the living room he's like this is the greatest spread in the history of comics <laughs> so you've mentioned meeting a lot of these creators they come to the store you're able to jump on a zoom is there a particular comic book hero of yours that you've been able to meet or has there been someone you've met and you're like wow this is the coolest person ever i'm gonna go with three people here all right let's do it so two direct meeting and one uh, attending a uh, a panel okay. that he was at so i'll start with the uh, i guess the biggest gun first and this is the one i didn't get to meet you know directly in person but uh a few years back i was at a uh, there's a convention in the city called FlameCon. it's a an lgbt inclusive uh convention yep. that's comic related and uh in general most of the people uh, there even like the vendors are like wow this is the most polite you know convention ever it's <laughs> really just wonderful and a lot of fun it but is. there was a panel called pride of the x-men with uh chris claremont uh Phil Jimenez, I think Tana Ford was there. I'm trying to remember the other people on the panel. Uh, the, the big name, though, was Chris, Chris Claremont, though. I mean, this was the guy that you know did the Dark Phoenix saga, he did Days of Future Past. I mean, he was a legend. And 
I thought the panel was going to be more about, you know, the X-Men as a, uh, you know, kind of a, the way they represent marginalized groups and everything, as we mentioned earlier. Uh, instead, it turned out to be just the rest of the panelists geeking over Chris Claremont as he was telling his life story. <laughs> <laughs> of course it would be. Of course. Yep. So that was, uh, and it, the, that hour went by so quickly. I could have just sat there and listened to him talk for another three hours. But uh, so that was a lot of fun. Uh, as far as uh, people I've met directly, uh, and were just completely wonderful, uh, I've met Jonathan Hickman twice. Uh, I'm a huge fan of his writing. Yeah. Uh, have been since uh, he started with Secret Warriors over at, uh, I think that was his, his first ongoing series with Marvel. And, uh, and I'd gone back and read some of his other stuff. I really loved Nightly News, some of the other image stuff he did. Sometimes he's a little trouble sticking the landings on the, the smaller series. Uh, but the uh, like East and West was phenomenal when he's able to just go. Yeah. Dude's amazing. And I got to meet him twice at New York comic con. Uh, the first time was back when Thursdays were professional only days. And uh, <laughs> those he had were the days. time to talk at a, uh, a not a panel. It was like a, he was doing a signing. And I went up there with my copy of secret warriors, number one, because I just fell in love with that book. And he was so excited about it he was you would tell he was thrilled that he was you know at marvel and writing you know an ongoing series and when i told him i, I love the book and they asked him to sign it for me he the first thing he said was okay all of that material at the, at the back of it all those paragraphs and those charts and everything all of that is going to come into play down the line and that was my first real introduction to the hickman data pages so you no, know, he was and he was just a, a wonderful friendly and just great person everything i've heard about him people who have spoken to us about Hickman have all said that exact same sentiment mm -hmm. that he was just very kind, very enthusiastic. Oh, and yeah. the Hickman data pages, I don't want to get on a, I don't want to sidebar just yet, but I am going to ask about the Hickman X-Men reboot. My second time meeting Hickman was when uh, he was on his uh, Avengers run and uh, the fourth issue of infinity had just come out. And uh, uh, he was over in artist alley along with Nick Dragota Cause they were uh, East and West uh, was going out at the same time. They had a special like hardcover for the uh, convention. And I told him that uh, I was really enjoying his run with Avengers. He's like, Oh yeah. And uh, number four of infinity came out this week. Did you like it? I'm like, Oh, it was amazing. That whole scene with Thor throwing Mjolnir and coming back. He's like, okay, I'm so glad you liked it. Got to warn you. Number five sucks. <laughs> and I'm like, you Kidding me? Like, yeah, the thing is, I mean, I try to have these little great things happening, but I got to bring everyone back to Earth now for number six. So number five is just putting the pieces back into place. It's going to suck. So just so you're aware of it. Like, okay. <laughs> so he was he was fa uh, just fascinating and just hilarious. Uh, the third person, and I've uh, uh, she's another one. I've ended up meeting her twice, and I mentioned her earlier, Gail Simone. She <sighs> is such a sweetheart she looks like such a the first time player. i met her was uh, again back when you know thursdays were you know professional days at new york comic con so it wasn't as busy as it has been in more recent years uh obviously last year notwithstanding uh but uh, <laughs> i had brought in my copy of secret six number one for her to sign and uh and she did so gladly and i you know started going on my, my merry way because i didn't want to you know, take up too much of her time she actually walked around the table grabbed me by the arm pulled me back to the table to talk to me about the book and it was so i'm like oh my god this this woman is so sweet and i have a friend who lives in london who is a bigger fan of her than i am and he's constantly like replying to her tweets and everything and whenever anytime she retweets him or replies he just immediately loses it so the last New York Comic Con that there was, 
uh, I went over to her table and I like, can you do me a really big favor? Hold on one second. Pull out my phone, get on Facebook, you know, voice. I'm like, hey, uh, Andy, I've got someone here that wants to talk to you. And she talked to Andy for like five minutes. It was oh my the highlight of his year. What a wonderful human being. I mean, she really is just the biggest sweetheart. And I love how much patrol she is on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> well, she gave us birds of prey. She's, she's absolutely just wonderful. I, you know where my next question is going to be. I have to ask you. I, I want to ask this uh, as a two-part question. One, how do you personally feel about the Hickman X-Men relaunch? And then the second part will be, how have retailers such as Toy Wiz responded to the Hickman relaunch of the X-Men? Is it the success that the fans all think it is? Going into it, I've opened, full disclosure, as I mentioned just a few moments ago, I am a huge fan of Jonathan Hickman's work. So yes. I was already predisposed to yeah. like it. When they announced that he was returning to Marvel and uh, all that, I was giddy. Oh, I know. I was I so mean, happy when he finally wrapped S.H.I.E.L.D. up after a five-year hiatus. Uh, <laughs> I was expecting huge things. So I, I just love how when he's given full reign to really just explore his ideas in depth, his, that entire like saga from Fantastic Four and Secret Warriors all the way through the end of Secret Wars was brilliant. Yeah. So the second I heard he was going to be completely taking the X-Men in a brand new direction, I was completely on board. And House of X and Powers of Ten sold like gangbusters. They were huge. And it was brilliant. It was wonderful. I picked up every issue, some of the variants on them, because they were just gorgeous. I really loved that one that uh, uh, Mike Hulston did with, uh, with Storm on it. I made sure I got that one and a bunch of them just because it was gorgeous. And I'm like, I need to have these in my life. I've got the hardcover so I can go and reread them and not have to worry about damaging those lovely, <laughs> lonely books that I have in my boxes behind me. Uh, and when it came down to the, uh, the, the ongoings, uh, I do trade weight those just because there's a whole lot of them. And at first I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to read X-Men because Hickman's writing. I'm going to read X-Force because I like Beast. Problems notwithstanding. <laughs> uh, I'm going to read Marauders because I love Storm. Uh, and I'm going to read Excalibur because I think it looks really cool. And okay, well, Hickman's doing some of New Mutants, so I'll get, I guess, his stuff on there. Well, if I'm getting New Mutants, I got to get Fallen Angels also then because, I mean, why am I, why am I only get, you know, not get one of them? So I now know. I'm just getting all the trades for all of them. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, it's, it's, not quite what I was expecting. Uh, I mean, just the, the the weirdness of everything that he created. It's so weird but, right I mean, now. But the X Men are weird again. Mm -hmm. But it's. Uh, I was actually expecting a bit more of like because the main X Men title I thought was going to be like, this is going to be the main story thrust for everything. Yeah. Uh, but instead, it's much more of a world building book. You had a lot of like little bits and pieces kind of sprinkled here and there, that seed further things that I know are going to end up coming into play down the line. But it's like, okay, wow, this, it's just a little like almost standalone stories within the, the general world, kind of like how it was, you know, older books where it was like, okay, look, you can pick up a book. It's, you know, it's your first book. You can just read a story with these guys in it. And even though it does play a part in a larger tapestry, it's still something that kind of stands on its own. Also, I love the fact that he managed to make a bunch of evil botanical golden girls. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love them. 
horticulture is phenomenal. Horticulture all the way. When they were, when they told, I'm trying to remember the exact quote, but when they like shaded Emma Frost and she was like, (gasps) I love that panel so much. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you. I don't know what I was expecting going into Hickman's X-Men, but Hoxpox delivered. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I just, with Moira and the various lives and Krakoa, I was just so happy with it. And it brought a lot of new readers back oh, to yeah. the X-Men. That, that more reveal was brilliantly handled. So well done. So well done. So Storm and Beast are your favorite X-Men. And I throw playful shade at Beast. We love all the X characters here. Beast is an asshole, but he's a lovable furry. <laughs> that sounded a lot worse than I thought it was going to. Uh, anyway, <laughs> he is a lovable asshole. Yeah. How do you feel about them in the Hickman era? Storm is, I love her in Marauders. She seemed a little odd in Hoxpox, but. Uh, everything seemed very odd with Hawkspox, almost like it was getting kind of culty. Yeah. And then we started seeing a bit more of her, like her back to her very like badass self once she was, you know, out on the high seas with Kitty, Pri- sorry, Captain Kate Pride. Uh, Call her Kate, smack. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, I think Storm is doing very well. I like the fact that she has kind of this elevated uh, status again. I always love yeah. to see her, you know, front and center as much as possible. Uh, Beast is beast he's you know kind of ill-served <laughs> by all the writers because he is very much the uh again smartest guy in the room he thinks he knows that and is unable to kind of deal with the self-reflection that's necessary at times but it does make for for good storylines because you know him screwing up does lead to brilliant disasters that everyone has to fix <laughs> i'm not historically a huge hickman stan so i don't think i can read his work in what he did in the past and what he's doing now like i could with other writers like grant morrison for example okay or sean murphy how do you think hickman's writing has evolved since avengers and what he's doing with the x-men what do you think is the most unique approach he's been doing with the x-men with his writing i think what he's really good at is like just the big concepts and general ideas for the story mm-hmm. he does tend to suffer a little bit when it comes to character yeah i agree uh, like a lot of the stuff the stuff that was going on in new avengers and avengers is new avengers especially with the incursions and everything was was brilliant but you didn't really get a, as much of a sense of the characters themselves it was them dealing with the situation around them with the disasters around them with the uh the builders showing up in the the, the regular avengers non new avengers uh and i'm kind of seeing that again with the x-men and i guess that's a good part of why you know he's uh, kind of overseeing the line as opposed to uh you know working on as much with individual stories and storytelling so this way he can kind of present this grandiose vision and then allow other writers to kind of play in those fields and you know i think it's it's a better position for him kind of as an overseer as opposed to a uh doing the nitty-gritty with the characters i agree with everything you said i you know that was kind of my apprehension going into the hickman era because 
I think he delivers on really great, you know, life changing. I was going to say life changing on like these big major changes and they're great. It's wonderful storytelling. It's wonderful world building, but the characters seem to suffer a little bit. And I think a lot of questions we had going into it, like, are the X-Men pod people now? What's going on? They sound a little, you know, like they're just dumping data out of their dialogue. But I think now that we're in Reign of X, the characters are flushed out more and you kind of see the grander picture. And I think what you said just now about he's great at overseeing everything, telling this very grandiose story and then letting writers like Teeny Howard, Leah Williams, Zeb Wells be able to tell the story on a very micro level and like flush these characters out a little bit. Absolutely. And it's funny though, because if you, if you look at his fantastic four run and there were elements of the things that did kind of like kind of drift into that whole, the characters are suffering at the expense of these bigger ideas. But at the same time, he had such some really amazing character moments yeah. uh, in you know, that run between you know, fantastic four and FF. The, uh, I can't remember if it was the final, I think it was the final issue of FF, not uh, Fantastic Four, that just thinking about it still gives me chills, where you have uh, younger Franklin uh, being kind of like narrated to by older Franklin. And there's this whole bit where I almost want to go grab the book so I can get the uh, the exact dialogue right, because I, I, I know if I'm not going to go for it. This. But uh, let, me, let me see if I can do this by memory. All right, let's do it. But it's, and it's funny because it, it's, while it's, his speech is metaphorical, it also physically there is an actual like pocket dimension that he created where Franklin just going to go wild. But it's like, there's this door that separates, you know, what is and what can be. You don't have to walk through it. You can run. <laughs> and it really just gives that whole like I, that that whole essence of who Franklin is. That's that's just the whole idea of like this. You know, have that imagination. You know, don't hold yourself back. You know, yeah, maybe you want to take your time and you kind of get in there, but you know, go through it. Go through that door. Explore explore the possibilities. And that was a really a huge part of the Fantastic Four that uh, I think was. A lot of people tend to kind of suffer with Fantastic Four as far as like figuring out how to write them in yeah. recent years because a lot of what made them popular back when they first came out can come across as kind of hokey as kind of like dated now. But he managed to take that whole family concept and really make it an integral part of his storyline and his, and his characterizations there. And it was something that really shone. And while the characterizations may have suffered a little bit in, the, in Avengers, he really did shine with them in Fantastic Four and in Secret Warriors as well. He really just wrote an amazing Nick Fury. Uh, and a lot of that uh, that personal element to it did end up coming back at the very end in Secret Wars, which was, as we ended up learning later on, the capstone to Fantastic Four before Ike Perlmutter decided to stop being a piece of garbage. Well, okay, but that's not entirely fair. He's still a piece of garbage, but <laughs> a piece of garbage as far as... Uh, as far as... Uh, we don't have the rights to this for the movie, so we're not going to allow any of these books to be put out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I. Sorry, I just I want to comment on that, but I. I yeah, I know. I, I'm like as I'm going through, I'm like, I don't yeah, no. some direct shade, but 
it's okay. fine. It's fine. I, I couldn't just let that pass. You know, what kind of uh, you know comedian or performer would I be if I didn't <laughs> accept the uh, the the occasional low hanging fruit? So- <laughs> but I do think what I love about the end of Secret Wars is that moment with the Fantastic Four, and they're a family of explorers, mm-hmm. and that very much comes into fruition at the end. And oh, yeah. the same with Hawksbox. There are so many great character moments. It's Moira, her relationship with Xavier, her various lives. It's Emma walking into that courtroom mm-hmm. with the cuckoos behind her. Oh, yeah. It's Jean bringing in new students to Krakoa and Xavier saying, you're safe here. He can really... Wolverine smiling. <laughs> Wolverine smiling as the little, little kid is jumping on him. It's You understand what's at stake in some of his stories. And that's why I didn't want to say something like, oh, his characterization felt a little off because I think when he has a begin, middle and end, you can see it. He's very crisp, but longer formats, you know, his, he, he focuses more on plot than characters. Right. My final question for you tonight. Okay. What book would you recommend me? What's the one, wait, let me rephrase that. What's the one book everyone should be reading right now? It's a good thing you rephrase that because the, the inevitably when someone comes comes in and says I, I want to get into comics where do I start yeah you have to follow it up with well are you looking for superheroes you're looking for you know slice of life you're looking for mystery you're looking for horror what are you uh, looking for which superhero what do you like it's probably the better thing to do would be for me to just tell you my favorite comic of all time serious uh, and that is a seven issue miniseries published by image a few years back by Joe Kelly and Ken Nomura called I Kill Giants. Oh, yes. It is so bittersweet and heartbreaking and beautiful. And I cry ugly tears every time I read it. But it is so beautiful. It's on my list to read. I'm Googling it right now as we speak. And I'm just going to go ahead and... You need to. I'm just going to go ahead and start reading it. The art it is, is beautiful. So it is such a powerful book. Yeah. Uh, for any of the listeners who are unfamiliar with it, uh, at its most basic, it's the story of this uh, like 12, 13, 14 year old girl named Barbara Thorson, who is convinced that giants exist and that they are they destroy everything that's good in the world, and that it's her duty to learn how to kill these giants. And the general presentation is very Calvin and Hobbes-ish in which in her reality, she's seeing these little like, you know, pixies and dwarves like kind of dancing around doing whatever. Uh, But we know it's in her head, kind of like how, you know, Calvin sees Hobbes as a, you know, walking, talking anthropomorphic tiger, but everyone else just sees the, uh, the stuffed animal. And the way it kind of works her imagination into the fact that it's her kind of trying to deal with various traumas in her life. Uh, Her father had left her some time ago. Something's going on with the mother that anytime it's brought up until maybe about the fifth or sixth issue, it gets all like, you know, the bride and kill bill where anytime they say her real name, it gets all out. Uh, So anytime they mention what's going on with her mother, you just get a bunch of like black bars over the, uh, the dialogue. But yeah, it's, it's about her, you know, the fact that she's kind of like the stuff is affecting her so negatively and she's lashing out. She's unable to you know, make friendships. Uh, she's unable to kind of make deal with anybody else because she's retreating so much into this fantasy. 
because she needs to have that control, that ability to take out these giants because they're causing what's going on in her world. And it's that juxtaposition of her wanting to fight against these things, but at the same time, her lack of being able to accept them is just driving her down a really dark path. And by the time it's all said and done, uh, again, I'm not going to go into any specifics as far as the story itself, but obviously she receives some closure towards the end. And it's the general message that it presents of you know the need to face your reality and have the strength to accept it. And at the end of the day, you are stronger than you think is yeah. just... I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it. I just, I love hearing you talk about it. That's the next series I'm going to pick up. Thank you for that, Carl. You're very welcome. It's, uh, I, I fell in love with the book, you know, back when it first came out, it became a lot more personal to me several years, you know, down the line. Uh, again, spoilers, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, very definitely one well worth checking out. Carl, where can the folks at home find you? Well, uh, Mondays through Fridays, I'm at Toy Whiz. <laughs> We're at uh, 347 West Route 59 in Nanuet, New York. Uh, right on the, the road in a standalone building. So uh, you can find me there. Uh, we're open uh, from noon till six most days. On uh, We stay open a little bit later on Wednesdays, uh, Fridays and Saturdays. But uh, I'm personally there Monday through Fridays if you have any comic questions. Uh, you can also contact uh, us. Uh, you can contact me through the store on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash collectibles. You can also uh, get to us through Twitter, twitter.com slash toywizstore. Uh, if you want to uh, reach me personally on Twitter, Twitter, uh, I'm, my uh, handle is, I believe, ctzealot, C-T-Z-E-A-L-O-T. Uh, the store is also on Instagram. I am as well, but I don't really handle that one very well, but we're Toy Wiz Store <laughs> on Instagram as well. And if I can just, you know, plug my personal uh, Twitch uh, channel, we have uh, twitch.tv slash Carl's Geek Stuff, where uh, on uh, Saturdays I uh, paint miniatures, on Friday nights I play some Magic Arena, and then the first Tuesday of every month, uh, including last night actually, as at least, you know, as far as when we're recording this, uh, <laughs> I, I do a uh, kind of a comic discussion that I lead. Uh, Sometimes I'll go over like events that are coming up and the kind of like how it deals with past events, stuff you need to know kind of going into something. Uh, yesterday I decided to actually, and it's, it's funny cause I was, uh, I wanted to look at kind of like the psychology of comics. So I ended up talking at length about I Kill Giants and WandaVision and uh, some of the stuff that uh, Scott Snyder has been working into Noctera. So uh, yeah, I, I think I've uh, whored myself out. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Well, Carl, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Oh, thank you for having me. This has been a blast. Folks, as always, I'm the Uncanny Dayspring, and I'm signing off. Well, thanks, sugar. The age of apocalypse is now over, and we'll see you next time. The age of apocalypse is over. For now. <laughs> <laughs>